hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 63, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing okay, Brennan. How are you? I am doing well. Good. I'm looking forward to getting into some stories about how exactly the woods are trying to kill you because they are. Absolutely. Although I will say the stories that the guys found for this, they're not quite as murdery. Yeah. <laughs> as I hope, because you know, I, I hate the woods and yeah. camping and, yeah. and being outside in general. Yeah. So I was hoping for some stories that would really strike fear into the hearts of, uh, those poor suckers who would go camping. You're listening right now. You know who I'm talking about. Wink. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, but unfortunately as it turned out, uh, they were not quite as murdery, but there is some pretty great stuff. Well, that's good. So I'm that's excited. Good. Uh, however, you had some homemade terror. I did. Then over the last couple Manufactured of days. Manufactured technological terror. And, and then I had some, um, non-technological, but similarly manufactured terror, but <laughs> you go first. Sure. Okay. So in the house, uh, it's all, you know, Google activated. We've of got course. the Google home. We've got the Philips lights. We've got everything going on. And, um, I'm still figuring everything out. I'm pretty good technologically, but you know, some stuff appears apparently to be beyond me. Uh, so I was sitting in the living room, said Google, you know, turn on the lights. Google did complied with my <laughs> demands for now, for now. And then about 10 minutes later, all the lights went out and I thought, Oh, that's weird i didn't say anything no one else is home that's odd so i said again you know this time i used the app the google home app and i turned the lights on and went back to what i was doing and then yeah about 10 minutes later all the lights just slowly faded to black and i was like um i'm uncomfortable now (laughs) so i began to sort of poke around in the app itself and try and figure out what's going on well, I figured it out. Demons. Obviously, but they were demons masquerading as a motion sensor. Ah, that yeah. old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> there is, uh, it was put in because uh, there's an Airbnb room in the house, and people getting up in the middle of the night could stumble and fall to their deaths down the stairs, which the house doesn't need any more ghosts. So um, <laughs> what it does is if you get up after dark, the light at the top of the stairs and the bottom of the stairs comes on at about 5% power, just enough to, you know, give you light. What I did not realize was that rather than this motion sensor being set to activate, say, after 11 or perhaps midnight. When it would be dark. When it would be dark. And 5% would be an improvement. Right. It had just been set to just start working. So oh, uh, no. what was happening was the motion sensor was doing exactly what it was supposed to do. After 10 minutes, the lights turn off. So that's what it was. So once I figured that out, readjusted the app, all was well. Nice. Yeah, no more ghosts trying to kill me in the dark. Uh, for now, for now. For now. You're just back in the place. So true, I'm sure true. there's then, plenty of time. Yeah, it's uh, the year is young, but we got through the full moon last night, so I'm happy about Sweet. that. Sweet. <laughs> How about you? So now in my place, as you know, I bought this LED, these LED strip lights yes. that go over my uh, balcony door because, yes. you know, I like colored lights because right. I'm weird. And what I do at night now is I don't turn on the bulb light. I just use the LED lights. Right. So I was, my end of night routine, usually I come back from a drive, then I start, uh, I load up the dishwasher and just kind of do a last minute, yep. straighten everything up, put the remotes away. So I was doing that in the the glow of these red LEDs that I had on. Right. Well, I turned and for a second thought, 
I saw someone standing in the corner of the living room and I nearly crapped. That's not good. I whip out my phone flashlight, shine it in the corner. Pretty sure it was just a cat tree. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's, that's Fair. fine. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then I was walking to the bedroom, which you have to go past the spare room. Right. And the same thing happened. Right. Jumped again, shine the light. This time, nothing in the corner that could possibly have caused the shadow. Oh. But I thought, well, I'm not going to think about that right. too much. No. Um, and, and best not to. Best not really. to. Yeah, it was yeah. more or less the end of it. But yeah. I just somehow managed to scare the ever-loving shit out of myself with a phone flashlight and and some and some uh, strategically placed LED lights. And I tell you, the one in the the spare bedroom, I'm just not going to dwell on because no. I'm sure it no. was the same thing. But don't you find once the sort of the uh, for lack of a better term, when the pump has been primed? Oh yeah, it's a lot because I was reading. Um, I've been rereading Stephen King books. Right, and I just finished Jerusalem's Lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it scared me more than I remembered. Really? Yeah, and I realized that I was soon going to be alone in the house for a couple of weeks. So I decided to stop reading it. Ah, this is wise. I actually another another one because I could feel myself getting uh, a little bit worked up, primed the pump, so to speak. And I thought, this is not a good idea. That happened to me last night because that bastard Luke sent over the uh, new issue, or sorry, the new episode of Luke Lore. Right, and, for, uh, for our patrons. For our patrons, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, patrons who are at the $5 level and above know that every month you get an episode of Luke Lore, which is anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes now. Right. Uh, in which Luke breaks down a different aspect of folklore. Right. And uh, if you want to know more about that, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. But uh, this one is about the good folk, right. the fae, which as you know, is a subject that, one of the only subjects we do that puts me on edge. Yes. So I'm editing this episode. And there is a point where he's talking about a particular fairy phenomenon where we, we're not 100% sure what it is. We think it may have been a car outside, but this hum starts oh. and increases in intensity and then sort of fades out. Hmm. Again, it's about quarter past midnight when I heard this. Uh-oh. Sitting in the red LED glow of my, my lights. <sighs> Not good. And yeah, jumped a mile and I, I clipped it and I sent it to him. I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> and he said, oh, I don't remember hearing that at the time. Great. Thanks. Yeah, cool. No, not I don't need to sleep tonight. No. no. So you've Luke, got your red LEDs to keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be blue now. Yeah. Uh, you could cycle them. Be like a unicorn dancing in the window. Moving on. <laughs> Luke, you can go to hell. And uh, just go to bed while it still lights out. We'll light out and avoid these things and you should be fine. Oh, is that your That's way my new of dealing plan. with this? Yeah. So nine o'clock you'll be in bed. Like I do with all my all my problems. Just avoid them. Just go to sleep. Just, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a musical guest on this episode. It's our buddies at Hexagram. Yay. Are back. The song is The Rise. It's from their 2018 album, Crystal Lake. And of course, I have a, a deep affection for that album because I'm on it. Yes. Uh, and actually, if you listen carefully to The Rise, I am also in there. Oh. They recorded a... Uh, a Burping or... Yeah. Well, that's, that is my skill. That's, <laughs> that's my, my thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my ASMR channel is hugely popular. <laughs> but uh, no, my, I, they, there is a chant in the song. And uh, my, I've done, my voice is mixed in there nice. doing the chant. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So if you want to hear more from Hexagram, head on over to their Bandcamp at hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And of course. Uh, They're not that kind of band. No. no. <laughs> and if they are, I hope I never know. <laughs> you can also find them on all the major streaming platforms. Coming up next, the woods are trying to kill you. 
Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be talking about creepy stories from the woods. And there is no shortage no. of this stuff out there, thankfully. No. E- even though some of the content on this show is frustratingly wholesome. I-, I guess it is kind of nice that it- it's not always something spooky, I guess. I grudgingly admit this. Even wow. though I despise the woods with the well, fire of a thousand suns. You hate anywhere that doesn't have Wi-Fi, so. True, 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 true. <laughs> and coffee. <laughs> yeah, I do like coffee. Easy access to carbs. You're like, <laughs> nah, I'm not into it. Anywhere in the woods uh, that does not have coffee and may also have Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Yeah. And you recently have come back from sort of Sasquatch land. Yes, I was quite surprised with all the Sasquatch signs and 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 cutouts on people's homes. And um, we cut through from Asoyis down through to Spokane, so it was through a mountain pass. Right. Yeah. And yeah, Bigfoot and Sasquatch, big deal down there. Really big deal down I, there. I've been down to Spokane. I quite like Spokane. Actually. Yeah, it's lovely. Really cute. We just went for dinner. Of course. <laughs> But I got to go to Red Lobster. Yes, I was wondering if you're going to say that. Um, I and I've been doing keto, like to lose weight. Right. I broke the keto diet that night. Oh, you did. I... Well, you can't go to Red Lobster and not have the cheesy biscuits. Come on. Well, I could because I can't eat them. But yeah, but you're broken. Ah, uh, yes, there is that. So I did. I broke it. I broke the diet. I took myself out of ketosis. I regret it now. But I'm back on it now. It so was good at the I'll, time, though? It was so worth it. I'd do it again. <laughs> In fact, I followed it up. We went to Walmart to pick something up, and I bought a chocolate bar. I'm like, fuck it. If I'm off it, I'm off it. Let's, <laughs> let's go full on. Hang for a sheep as well as a lamb. Exactly. Right? Fair enough. So I regret nothing. I, coincidentally, that is the Red Lobster that Nikki and I once drove an hour out of our way to go to. See? Because she has your craven lust for Red Lobster. <sighs> Nikki and I are so bonded. Oh, I know. It really, really disturbs me. I know. Puppies and little teacup pigs. We're no. just all over it. Nope. I'm not impressed. We're going to have a club. We're going to buy a farm together. We didn't tell you this. We're buying a farm together. You can live there too. Don't worry. No, no. No, it's okay. It's in the woods though. Exactly. <laughs> I know what's going on here, which is weird. But anyways, moving on. Moving on. So what's our first story? Our first story is called Brothers. To understand my story, you first need to know that when my father, Paul, was young, he had an older brother named Ronald. Ronald had bright blonde hair, and I'm told he and my father looked almost exactly alike when they were little. When Ronald was 14, he went on a fishing trip to the Mississippi River with his father, my grandfather, leaving my dad alone with his mother. My dad was brokenhearted that he couldn't go, but my grandmother believed he was too young to be fishing on the river and couldn't be swayed. Once he got over his disappointment, my dad went outside to play, And that's where he was when my grandfather came home alone, shaken and crying out for my grandmother. When she came out, my grandfather collapsed onto her and told her that Ronald had fallen from the boat and been swept away by the powerful current. My grandfather had gone into the river after him, but it was too late. He was gone, and so far as I know, the body was never recovered. That last part I can't vouch for because after his death, no one much talked about him. It wasn't until my experience as a young girl that I even became aware my father once had a brother. I grew up in the same house as my father, a big old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by a big grassy yard with a wood or small forest, I guess you'd say, in back. There were also acres and acres of fields, which we didn't farm, so we rented them out to neighbors who did. When I was around four or five, just barely old enough to be left alone outside to play, I spent all my free time in the woods. For hours I'd be out there adventuring, making up games, or just playing, and I would come home when someone called me into dinner. It sounds a little cliche, but as childhoods go, it was pretty good. After one of these adventurous days, I remember my mom asking me exactly what it is I do out there in the forest, and so I told her. I'm playing with a little blonde-haired boy, I said. Mom didn't think much of it at the time. I think she assumed I was referring to an invisible friend, something that wasn't unreasonable given my age. 
Then one day, Grandma brought over some photos from my dad's childhood for us to look at. So dad hauled out the slide projector and we watched memory after memory from my father's past flick across the wall in the bright light. Then in one of the images was a little blonde boy. I rushed to the wall and pointed. Mom, mom, that's my friend from the woods. The room went silent until my mother carefully explained that this couldn't be my friend because it was my uncle Ronald who had died long before I was born, but I was adamant that it was him. My memory of the woods is faded now, so I don't know if I pointed at Ronald simply because he looked like my imaginary friend or if it was truly him I was playing with, but I do remember the slideshow and my total certainty. Wow. Interesting. Haunted Woods. Haunted Woods. Telling you, yeah. do not go there. No. Zero stars. <laughs> when the forest goes silent. This happened when I was seven or eight in that great hub of all things weird, Pennsylvania. My family lived in a house that was right next to some deep woods. There were four of us, my mom and dad, myself, and my older sister, Jessica. Dad worked nights, so more often than not, it was us three ladies home alone after dark, which wasn't really a problem, although sometimes I would spend the night in my mother's room just for the company. That's where I was the summer night this happened, sleeping peacefully in my mother's bed as a light breeze blew in through the open window. Both my mother and I woke to the sound of a piercing scream. It sounded like a bobcat or other similar animal. A moment after the screaming began, my mother and I bolted upright in bed, and a few moments after that, Jessica ran into the room and jumped into bed with us. The nightmare chorus we were hearing could only have been an animal dying, and it seemed to go on forever. Then we heard something else. What could only have been the thing doing the killing. Whatever it was, it sounded huge. It snorts like those of a grizzly bear or wild boar. We heard chewing so powerful, it was snapping the bones of its prey a sound that all of us vividly recall even years later. After about a minute of this, we managed to get up off the bed and creep over to the window, though when I think about it now I realize we didn't need to worry about making noise. You couldn't hear a single thing over top of the horror that was unfolding outside. The three of us peeked over the sill to see if we could see what was being eaten, and more importantly, doing the eating. But even though the chewing was so loud it could have been happening right outside our window, it was too dark to see anything. The screaming stopped, and then the awful chewing was the only sound you could hear, and it persisted for another ten minutes. Then, it just stopped. Whatever predator had been chewing never made another sound. It was like it had somehow appeared only to feed, and then disappeared the same way. That, or it was out there in the dark, silently looking back at us. The forest was totally silent by this point. No birds, no bugs. You could have heard a pin drop. This thing had to be huge. I cannot stress that enough. A bear we would have heard roaming about the brush afterwards. Same for any other large predator, like a mountain lion. And there are no boars in Pennsylvania, but it didn't even sound like any of those things. I have since seen and heard the likes of those animals, and nothing I have ever heard sounds even remotely close to what we heard that night. But that's not even the weirdest part. The next morning, we told my dad what happened, and together we all went scouring the area where we heard it take place, just inside the tree line. There wasn't a single twig out of place. No evidence of a scuffle, no prints, no carcass, not even a drop of blood, absolutely nothing. With the amount of brush and how large this thing sounded, there should certainly have been some kind of rem remnants of the shit we heard, but no. So what the hell was it? Was it a ghost bear? Bigfoot? A werewolf? I really couldn't tell you. 
but I never ventured too far into the woods after that night. Weird shit happens there. My advice, when the forest goes silent, it's time to go home. I'll tell you what it was. It's a great-ass reason not to go out into the woods. <laughs> Keep your grizzly Adam shit to yourself, because this is not on, Buster. <laughs> that would be upsetting, especially when it's close to your house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why in God's name would you live near the deep woods? That sounds... Ominous. Yeah, nothing, yeah. Nothing, if you put deep in front of it, doesn't sound ominous. Well, that creepy house I lived in in New Brunswick, the haunted one. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, we had a backyard, like a standard size small backyard with a garage in it. Right. And then it was woods. Ugh. Right up to the house. Of course. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I've seen it in cold blood. I know how this ends. <laughs> Forget that noise. Actually, apparently there's some new movie out, and I can't remember what it's called, but I guess it, it deals with the life of a family in the day before... A serial killer comes to their house. Oh. You never see the killing. You just see the, the, his car coming in the night. And it's just about the the minutia of a day. And see, I always thought about that. Whenever I would see these, like, driving through the woods this weekend, you would see these houses completely isolated, all on their own. And I always thought, like, I get why people would own guns. Yeah. You live oh, in the yeah, yeah, you live like, out in the you bush. You don't know who's coming, and no one can hear you scream. Yeah. There's no one coming to help you. I've heard stories, uh, I can't remember, I think it was outside of the town of Sycamus, which is not far from where I grew up, but someone just pulled up to a house with a U-Haul in the off season and just broke in and, and just Cleaned tossed. It out. Yeah. So imagine if you'd been home. I know. You know. I know. What and, you... and traditionally people like that don't even lock their doors. They leave their keys in the car. Oh, that's madness. All sorts of stuff. They do. I, I grew up in Alberta, and, you know, when, and we were pretty close to uh, a lot of rural people, and, and they just didn't lock their doors. They left their keys in the car. Like, it's pretty crazy. Crazy is a good word. <laughs> the boys. So, quick background. I come from a military family and as such have lived all over the country, often unable to keep friends for any period. I also have insane social anxiety, so I'm overall pretty bad at making friends to start. This story starts when I was 14 and had lived in rural Newfoundland for about three years. I had no friends, as I mentioned. My home life was pretty terrible, and I was at this point pretty depressed. We lived on about an acre of land with a river separating us from pretty untouched forests that had a bunch of ATV trails in it. It all started around late August. My parents had told me that for many weeks now there had been hoots and hollers coming from our backyard. They had seen flashlights and thought it was some shit kids just trying to break in our garage and steal some beer. There had been times I heard it too, normally in the evening, just a couple voices periodically hollering and often I heard several voices speaking from just across the river in the woods. No big deal. A lot of kids hung out in those woods and due to my oppressive social anxiety I sure didn't have any desire to talk to them. After this had happened for some weeks, I heard the kids doing their usual thing around four in the afternoon and decided, fuck it, I'm going to see what's so amusing. So I ventured into the woods, and about 300 feet up an ATV trail, I met one of them. His name was Jack. He was a year or two younger than me, about a foot shorter, and wearing some really out-of-date clothes. He seemed kind of surprised to meet me, but we said our hellos. I said I'd heard them for a while now and came to see what was happening. Jack got super pumped and insisted I follow him to see his friend's project. So I followed the guy, and I'm brought into an area that is pretty clear-cut considering it's in a dense patch of woods. I often explored the woods alone, and this clearing was brand new to me. There were two other kids there, one my age named Elvis, and another about two years older named Lewis. They said they were working on a treehouse slash fort and wondered if I was interested in helping. Of course, I, I said yes, as I had never been asked to hang out with anyone. Now, I need to discuss these kids' clothes. 
When I say out of style, I'm talking bad early 80s stuff. Neon colors, big rubber boots, one kid had shoulder pads, it was a whole thing. A lot of the kids I went to school with wore hand-me-downs, so I assumed that's what the clothes were, but the kids themselves were odd. Like, they had no signs of pimples, their hair was immaculate, clothes crisp as hell despite their age. Vampires. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we see you, Corey Ham. <laughs> so these kids were nice to me. I mean, really nice. I never really got to know them. They never wanted to talk about their home life, but that wasn't surprising considering where I live. We used hatchets, saws, rope, and nails to make a pretty solid fort. Had about eight foot walls made of birch trees. We made a table to sit at, a lookout post, and the biggest tree we could find. The place was about the size of a one bedroom apartment, and we were pretty proud. One day we were sitting at the table and talking about our favorite trees or something, and I asked Elvis why I'd never seen him around before. If he lived near me, he had to go to my school. It was in one of two schools in the town, and no way he lived in the catchment area of the other one. He insisted he did, and wondered why he never met me either. We didn't know the same classmates, same people, could barely agree on teachers, but whatever. These kids talked to me, and that was enough. So about two weeks after meeting them and building this fort, I said I needed to go home and get something to eat. I asked if they wanted something too, as this was basically my backyard and my parents always made too much food. They became downright hostile. Not over the food, they just refused to cross the river. Lewis came up with a story about how crossing a stranger's river is bad luck, and I thought that sounded like bullshit, but I sure wasn't pushing the issue. I asked if they wanted something, they said yes, and I brought back a pie we could all eat. They apologized about getting angry, said they were very superstitious, and I just thought nothing else of it. We had a good rest of the day, planning to invade the woods looking for some thick pine trees. I had told my parents about these kids, and they thought they were weird, but when a kid with no friends finds three, I guess you don't ask too many questions. Cut to about a week later. I'd gone down to the fort, and we'd done our thing, but today the kids looked haggard. Jack was particularly bad. He looked like he'd just gotten the beat down of his life while catching pneumonia. They all also looked wet, or maybe greasy is a better word. They had slick hair, their skin was all shiny and clammy, and their clothes looked like ass. I wasn't shocked. These kids wore the same clothes every day, but so did a lot of the really poor kids in the town. We played around for an hour before they left, coughing like they smoked a pack a day. I've met people who smoke a pack a day. They're actually pretty good. It's the multiple packs a day people you got to worry about. <laughs> so the next day I went back with a hatchet and bag of nails in hand, as the plan had been to give the lookout a roof. Except when I got to the fort, the place was wrecked. Walls torn down, the table was in half, and the lookout had maybe one or two little pieces left to it. And most notably, everything was rotting. Like, it had been sitting for decades, rotting. The table was basically nothing, and I could see growth in what had been our floor. I didn't know what to think and rationalized that someone had decided to trash the place. I never did see those kids again. I was pretty dejected and wanted to look for them, but they never had shown me or told me where they lived other than up the hill. I was sad for a good while after that. In time we moved, I grew up, and I never thought much about those days in the woods. Eventually I got married and told the story to my wife, who was really struck by it. The follow-up questions she asked me made me realize that the situation had been unusual, as not only had I never seen the kids again, but I'd never been able to find any record of them, though I'll admit I didn't try all that hard. Did I spend a bunch of time hanging out with ghost kids? Vampire kids? Kids afraid of running water? I don't know. I just don't. Wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah, and honestly, it's so wild that part of me thought maybe it's bullshit. You know, it's just such a good story. But it doesn't try and resolve itself. Well, that's... It's like kind of light. Yeah, that's it. And, and it, 
there's something about the, the clothes that really ping me and I don't know why, but there's something about that that really sticks in my head mm. and that made me include. It kind of actually reminds me, there's a movie called Nomads and we, we talked about it on one of the, uh, uh, the cabin fever episodes for the patrons, but it's this, I think 1986 film with Pierce Brosnan. Okay. It's about this, uh, French professor who comes to Los Angeles and ends up following this group of kind of eighties punks all around the city. And what he realizes is they don't sleep. Mm. They're not human. Right. He takes a bunch of pictures of them, but when he develops them, there's nothing in them. And it really plays on that sense of urban panic right. that was a big issue in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that the cities were turning to jungles and, mm-hmm. and all these things. And this, for some reason, pings a little bit of that for me. You know, mm. just this idea that there's something, there's this element out there that we don't understand, but it exists according to its own rules. Like the idea that they're eating his food had something to do with their dissolution. Hmm. You know, the fact that he brought something from his house. Right. You know, I mean, obviously we, we, we talked about trying not to explain these things away because they're fundamentally unexplainable, but this one really, really got its hooks in me. It's interesting. Yeah. Child of the night. In the early 2000s, I woke up in the middle of the night with an urge to look out the window. Sounds strange to you? It was even stranger to me. I was 10 years old and not given to waking up in the night, but all the same, I woke up in my second floor bedroom, my eyes glued to the window, and my mind filled with a burning desire to get up and look outside. There was no clock within eye view of my bed, so I have no idea what time it was other than late. Our house backed onto a park, which itself bordered some woods. It was a nice view, but even so, I've never been a fan of the woods or the dark. It was wintertime, so when I finally gave in to that odd feeling propelling me out of bed and got to the window, the only light was coming from a lone street lamp down the way, refracted off the snow. I scanned the tree line where the woods bordered my park, my eyes eventually settling on the figure of a small boy, maybe five years old, standing at the edge of the park just across the road from my house. Again, it's winter, but this kid is in overalls and sneakers, with no coat whatsoever, and he's just standing there, staring at the ground. Then out of nowhere, his head snaps up, and his eyes lock on mine. Without a twitch of expression, we hold eye contact as he slowly starts to cross the street. A couple of steps in, his gaze shifts towards my front door. That did it. I immediately slammed my curtain against the window, turned on all the lights, closed my door, and intensely stared at it till dawn. The creepiest part of it was finding footprints in the snow the next morning. They lead from where he initially stood to the street. I know how crazy this sounds, almost like a horror movie, but it happened just this way and scares me when I think about it even now. Hey, child of the night, let's never meet again, okay? Deal. (laughs) No kidding. That sort of got shades of the whole black-eyed kids thing, which, you know, scares the hell out of me. Oh, yeah. I mean, kids frighten me generally, (laughs) but when they're paranormal in nature. Well, not your own. I don't like you very much, Mr. Gibbs. For a second there, I, 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 I before I remembered what you were talking about, I got real You're panicky. Like, what? what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever told the story on the show, but um, maybe I have. I, I doubt it. Uh, when I was doing some research for my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere, oh. fine books are sold, um, I ended up coming across the name of a woman I'd spent some time with, we'll say. Playing chess? Yeah, yeah, back in my wild and free younger days. And I saw that she died. 
Oh no. And she died in a car accident about a couple of years beforehand. Wow. And then I saw that when she died, she'd had a child. <gasps> And let me tell you, I did some hasty math. <laughs> Holy man. No. Is it Nathaniel or Kiki? She was a Kiki, but not mine, mercifully. Oh, yeah, I ran God. the numbers and it didn't check out. But, oh, good. Oh, let me tell you. Obviously, I felt terrible for her. Of course. And uh, yeah, brief panic. And then I felt even you know, worse for the kid. And so, yeah, yeah anyways, decided to throw some tragedy on top of this. Thanks. That was yeah, great. Hasn't been a tragic enough day. No. So, no, no throw no, some no. more on there. Layer it up like a lasagna, you sick fuck. <laughs> The figure in white. My in-laws live on several acres of land in the woods in a fairly secluded area. Their house is set back from the roadways. It's about a good five-minute walk from the gate to the front door, and their land extends well past the back of the home down a steep hill. They do have neighbors, but they're spread out, and the trees prevent you from seeing or hearing much past the yard. The first thing that happened was in Christmas 2017. Hubby and I were staying at his parents' place in the guest room, which is on the opposite side of the house from the master bedroom. His parents sleep with their two dogs, who are very vocal at the slightest outside noise. My husband always falls asleep right away, and this night was no different. A couple minutes after his head hits the pillow, he was out. Me, I don't sleep so well away from my own bed, so I was left alone staring at the ceiling. The guest room window sits above the headboard of the bed, facing out from the back of the house and looking onto the woods. At nighttime, it's dead silent out there, and as a city girl, that just unnerves me, and the silence makes it even harder to sleep. That night, as I lay there waiting for the dreams to come, I heard a soothing female voice from behind my head say, It's time for bed. I was definitely awake, and what's weird is that I hardly thought anything of it until the next day. At the time, I just remember feeling soothed and thinking, Yeah, I should try to go to sleep. I don't know how to explain it, but I just knew it was meant to help me fall asleep in a loving, caring kind of way. The next day I told my husband about it and he asked whether it could have been the sound of his mom's voice carrying through the house. I told him that it couldn't have been because one, his mom has a very distinct, brash voice, <laughs> and two, his parents had gone to bed at least an hour prior to that. I also would have heard the dog scrambling around the hardwood floors in the house if his mom had gotten up. That morning he mentioned to his mom that I'd heard the voice and she didn't say anything but I saw her smile to herself. My second experience came during another stay in their house the following year, so summer 2018. My husband had been snoring a lot lately, so he decided to sleep on the couch and let me have the bed. The couch sits against a big window in the living room, and the window looks out towards the woods the same way the window in the guest bed does. In the middle of the night, I woke up to use the bathroom, and the glow of the full moon coming in through the window was so bright that, even without my contact lenses and glasses, I didn't need to turn on any lights to find my way to the toilet. After I'd done my business, I left the bathroom and was facing the large living room window directly above where my husband was sleeping on the couch. Just as I was about to turn away, I saw a gleaming white human-shaped figure outside the window. Because I'm nearsighted, I generally don't bother trying to distinguish weird shapes in the dark, as your mind tends to make you believe there are shadows or other creepy things that might not be there. Even when I think I see something like a dark shadow in a corner, which could possibly be a person, I turn quickly away and tell myself it's nothing. After seeing this figure in white, I stopped dead in my tracks and wondered if I was seeing a burglar, but then thought, who breaks into a house at night during a full moon wearing white? The figure slowly and gracefully moved towards the house and seemed to have a shape of a woman, vaguely pear-shaped with billowing clothing. For some reason, I was afraid of being noticed by it, so I started to turn back to the room. And I can't explain the movement, but it was like in that split second, the figure turned around and started heading back to the woods. I didn't actually see it turn. It was like one second it's moving towards me, the next it's turned around, going in the opposite direction. 
What really stood out to me was that the figure almost looked like it was gliding. There was a lot of long grass and bushes out there among the trees, and you'd expect to see a person's legs moving as they stepped over and around vegetation, but they weren't. Now remember, I wasn't wearing corrective eyewear, so I couldn't make out any specifics, but I could make out color, overall shape, and movement. I got back into bed, wrapped myself in the covers, and didn't dare move, not even to check the time on my phone. As I was laying there, I noticed the shears on the bedroom window were drawn a couple inches, and as I stared at the small opening for a few minutes, I saw a faint, glowing white light pass slowly from one side of the window to the next. I nearly stopped breathing. The next morning, I walked into the living room and looked out the window where, the night before, I had seen the figure, and my jaw dropped. The land beneath the window sloped away from the house, which meant the figure, which had roughly been at eye level for me, had either been eight feet tall or floating. I can't think of another explanation. My husband noticed me staring at the window, and I told him what happened. He brushed the whole thing off as a drunk person wandering up to the house, but an eight-foot-tall drunken giant in white who didn't create a single sound makes even less sense than what I saw. What is it with people and these stupid explanations for things? Well, it was just a drunk guy. Eight feet tall? Wearing, like, did Andre the Giant resurrect and get hammered in our driveway? I think people just want to be able to put things in a box. And from what I've learned reading all these stories, most of the husbands... <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. That's exactly it. They're the ones who have a much harder time dealing with this and sort of accepting. I, I know we've said this before, but I just can't imagine dismissing my partner when they come to me with something like this. Well, because the alternative is too scary. I guess. I, I just... I couldn't either. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're is saying. It, is it that scary though? It's just... Okay. I mean, I think if I had a really hard time believing it, I would say, well, okay, that's what you experienced. Right. I would never be like, oh, you're an idiot. You know, it was you, the wind. It was swamp gas. You you didn't see what you what you just told me you saw. Okay, well, huh? What do you think it was? That's probably my take on it. Yeah, fair enough. I just I don't know. You're married to this person. You're going to spend your life with them, but they come to you with something. You go, ah, that sounds like. Yeah, I think you're nuts. Yeah, you're yeah, nuts, honey. Yeah. The fishman and the pike. These stories were told to me by friends who served in our military. I'd like to stay as anonymous as possible, so let's just say I live in Southeast Asia and these stories take place in the jungles of that same region. My friend, who we'll call Mike, was training with his unit deep in the jungle, about a kilometer apart from each other. The idea was that they had to make it back to base camp, which was some distance away, using only their knives and a box of matches. Over the two or three days, Mike started making his way upriver, but had very little success in trapping or catching any food besides the occasional grub, and his spirits were dwindling. Ugh, mine would be too if I was eating grubs. No kidding. Finally, after yet another failed attempt at trapping a fish, he broke down and collapsed next to the stream weeping. The tears continued to come until Mike heard a voice asking him what was wrong. He turned to see what appeared to be a green-colored humanoid figure, maybe as tall as his waist, and almost amphibian-like looking at him. To say Mike was freaked out would be an understatement, but he tried to keep a lid on it, and when the creature asked again, he told it he was hungry. The little man said that he needn't worry and that he would find food today, and then it waded into the river and disappeared. Sure enough, by that afternoon, he'd managed to trap some decent-sized fish and finally enjoyed the first meal he'd had in many days. He managed to get back to base in time with no other incident, but didn't tell the story to anyone for fear of being mocked or for crying, or for seeing fairy tale creatures. Sometimes, even he doubts what he saw. Yet again, God's sakes, I well, know. a fishman. 
came up to me and said, I'm going to be fine. Oh, you were crying, eh? I think, no, you buried the lead there, Jim. <laughs> like, uh, it's fine. It's fine. And then even he does what he saw. Oh, because man. it's very hard to make that stuff be okay and real. I guess so. The other story involves my friend Lee. He and his unit were made to do something similar, except they were to camp alone overnight in the jungle, several kilometers apart from each other. One of the soldiers was quite religious, and it's said that this test can severely strain the faith of such people. Sometime in the middle of the night, Lee and several of his comrades could hear someone reciting, or more like shouting, holy verses through the jungle. It continued for quite a while, but eventually stopped. In the morning after they reconvened, the religious lad confessed that it was him, to no one's surprise. He said he'd been standing watch and sensed some movement in his peripheral view. After looking around frantically, he spotted something not too far from him. It was a human head with long hair, impaled on what looked like a stick, staring at him with a big smile. That's when he started with the holy verses. Whatever it was, it stayed there for a while, but eventually disappeared into the darkness. What is happening out there? I have a friend. He was one of our exchange students, and I may have told you the story before. He is South Korean. Okay. He had to do mandatory military work. Right. And he was assigned to do an overnight guard shift in the demilitarized zone. Oh, okay. So standing right on the border between right. South Korea and North Korea. And he said it was one of the most terrifying things he's ever done. Really? As he was there, he watched a man come up to the border, pull out a gun, shoot himself in the head, and crumple to the ground. Of course, he was alarmed. Right. He radioed, I need some help. Something just happened. They came because he didn't even have a flashlight. They're not like super, you know, kitted out for this kind of thing. Right. His commanding officer came up in a Jeep because they're spread out quite a bit along the zone. Right. Uh, with a very powerful light and shined it over there. Nothing there. Really? So he said there were a few times. The first time was the most upsetting, but there were a few times they would see what he truly believed were ghosts on the border of people who had not made it across, who had tried to come across and couldn't make it. Wow. And yet their ghosts were still trying to make it. He said that he hated it. He hated it. He had to do one year of mandatory military service and that was it. He was out. Never. I can't imagine. Back. Yeah. Holy. And they would always stick the, you know, mandatory service guys, um, on this guard duty. Wow. Yeah. Cause how do you prepare someone for that? By the way, you're going to see, you know, yeah, by the way, you may see desperately crazed, starving people who aren't actually there trying to get across the border oh and it's your job to stop them or help them or you know whatever <laughs> yeah yeah you know, whatever their mandate is you have to is. determine whether or not they're real right oh very upsetting and you're there alone because you're too far away from the next person in line to of course yeah yeah can't imagine the seizure when i was nine years old i was in an accident that knocked me out cold for a few minutes and then once i hit puberty i started having stress-induced seizures and memory blackouts the neurologist my parents took me to sent me for tests and afterwards hypothesized that the way my brain was growing and changing after that head trauma was what was causing my seizures he suggested i would grow out of them and i more or less have in my late 20s i've gone from two a year while fully medicated to one every two years with my only treatment being cbd the story I'm about to tell you could be written off as a hallucination caused by my trauma, but I don't believe that's the case, and after hearing me out, I think you'll agree. I grew up out in the Pinelands of New Jersey, where the biggest draw for outsiders is a large state forest with a lake for swimming and tons of hiking and camping. 
Growing up, I used to ride my bike around this park with friends or often just come home from school and ride it alone to get some exercise. One day in late fall, maybe 11 years ago, I was riding my bike alone through the state park trails. The woods were silent and carpeted with crisp fallen leaves. I was gliding along the paved path, which is an access road for cars and campers, when suddenly I got an aura. Now, auras are your body's way of telling you that you're going to have a seizure. They can last for seconds, minutes, or hours, and everyone reports them differently. Mine last for hours, and usually involve me having little blackouts and twitches. But this one was different, and I've never had one like it since. In the midst of my aura, as I'm in motion, I felt a hand very lightly touch my shoulder, and I tried to turn to see, but literally could not. I was stuck looking forward. An ethereal calmness came over me, the likes of which I have never experienced before or since. I smiled. I remember grinning and being so content that somehow this hand was on my shoulder while I was riding my bike. A female voice then whispered in my left ear in the calmest, warmest voice I've ever heard, You're going to have a seizure, and you're going to be okay. About a quarter mile down the road, there was a big pile of leaves that presumably the park service had raked up. After this female voice whispered in my ear, I woke up in that pile of leaves, a quarter mile from where I first felt the presence. I say presence because I have zero idea of what I experienced. All I know for sure is that out of all the seizures I've had since then, and there have been many, it's never happened again. Whatever it was, I woke up in that pile of leaves without a scratch on me. My bike was on the other side of the road, not a twisted heap of metal, but instead leaning neatly on a tree like I had done it intentionally. There were no other piles of leaves or anything around in the park that could have protected me from injury. This was it. And there was absolutely no one around in the park that day. If I had seized up on a bike on an asphalt road, I very well could have died, left in the park until some local or ranger drove down that road. And it was the strangest my body has ever felt from a seizure because I was at peace. I was giggling in disbelief, but also happy it happened. Confused, bewildered, blessed. I ended up shouting thank you to the sky. To me, this was not a hallucination, even though I know other people will tell me it was. They can believe that, but they weren't there, and I wasn't conscious to see what was really happening. Truthfully, no one can ever know what happened to me that day. I don't even know what happened to me that day. But something highly strange happened, and I am 100% sure that it saved my life. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And that's another voice thing. That's mm -hmm. the second one we've had today with this uh, sort of voice in your ear. That's all I've ever had, like haunting-wise, like feelings. I've heard the occasional voice like right in my ear, but that's right. about it. I remember uh, when I first started working on Strange, a woman I interviewed told me that she had heard voices since she was a little girl. Hmm. And she was someone who had a place in the community that would have been threatened by, you know, me exposing this, which yeah. of course I never yeah, would, but yeah. she took a big leap in trusting me with this. Wow. And she said they would, and they weren't, when I say voices, it wasn't schizophrenia. You know, they, they were always trying to get her attention. Right. And in some cases they would say things which were vertical. They were actually things you could verify that she couldn't have known otherwise. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's a thing. It's just a, who knows what the hell it is. The little figure. In August 2002, my dad took me out camping for the first time. I was 11 years old, and he chose a smaller campground called Waterways along the Rideau River. It was a bit off the beaten path, which my father liked and my mother didn't, because it was well and truly off the grid with no power, phones, etc. Regardless, we packed up, and my father and I were on our way. The campsite itself was nice. It was grassy and sheltered from the other campsites with a thick line of fir trees, which made it seem as though no one else was around. It stayed that way for the rest of the weekend, as no one ever did camp nearby us. We arrived late and had to set up our tent with the aid of flashlights. Being scared of the dark, I wasn't much help. 
After we had them set up and lit, Dad gave me the reins and let me pump up the mattresses, but I quickly got tired. Instead, I asked if I could go outside and check on the fire. Before I even heard his approval, I was unzipping the door. I took two steps outside, gazed at the fire, and let my eyes wander up into the tree line just a little way. That was when I saw it. A small, hooded figure. It was small. It must have been only a meter and a half tall and about five meters away. It was in the tree line, so I guess about two meters off the ground. The hooded figure wore a long cloak with wide sleeves that met in the middle of his chest, as if he was pressing his knuckles together out in front of him. The shadow of the hood showed no facial features beneath. Its entire body was transparent. I stood in utter shock for several seconds. Neither of us moved. Then I screamed and nearly tore that tent open, crying for my father to go outside. I've never told the full story like this, and I'd like some help in identifying just what it was that visited my campsite. You know, that reminds me of the story we told on the last show, the uh, the Tahunga Imp. Yeah. Which we had a lot of email about. People Other, were like, thank God, because I've experienced the same thing. And, which is so strange. Yeah. There's so many, I mean, not, we're not like 20 people, but still a, f- a handful of people yeah. actually commented and said, yeah, this has happened to me too. Yeah. Uh, one of our uh, patrons actually said that she had witnessed three of them at one time in her room over a succession of nights. It's pretty wild. It really is. Yeah. And I love that because, I mean, the whole reason I was so into ghost stories in the first place was because they made me feel better. Of course. They made me feel like I wasn't crazy, right? Like, oh, okay, this is a thing. Other people have experienced this. So the fact that we're able to bring these stories to people and have them go, yeah, 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 me too. That's pretty great. That is great. Yeah. Yeah, The the stories are crazy. You're not. (laughs) Exactly. The Covered Bridge. My friends and I back in college would not necessarily call ourselves ghost hunters, but we like to go out into the woods at night and find old abandoned houses, graveyards, and the like, which are plentiful when you live in the middle of nowhere. This is just a bad idea. (laughs) A common place for us to go was a park, which is very far into the woods and had an old covered bridge that was supposedly haunted. An explanation as to why this bridge seems so scary, there's a light at the end of the bridge and the shadows of the trees form what looks like a figure. When you sit in the middle of the bridge, the wind makes the figure look like it's moving towards you. To the unsuspecting visitor, this can be frightening as hell, so we like to take our friends out there to scare them. To set the scene, it was late summer on a Wednesday night, probably around 2am. We were all on summer break and had nothing going on, so we decided to take a couple people down to the bridge to give them a good scare. The area is not easy to get to as there are lots of steep hills and rocky roads, so as expected, there were no other cars on the road. We got down to the bridge as we had so many other times before. It was tough to see the light at the end, but there were definitely plenty of shadows around, so the scare factor was pretty high. As you're supposed to, we parked our car in the middle of the covered bridge and turned our lights off as well as our engine. Immediately, the people we brought with us saw the shadow figure approaching our car. Obviously, we tried to play it up and act like we saw it coming towards us as well, but ah, this time something was wrong. The figure seemed a lot more lifelike, not at all like a tree swaying in the wind. I looked over at my friends and could tell they noticed something was different this time too. It was at this point that I noticed we were no longer looking at the same shadow figure at the end of the bridge. This one had moved directly in front of our car. In a panic, I turned on the headlights because it was becoming all a bit too real. Once the lights came on, the figure did not disappear, and it did not stop inching towards our car. Oh no. There in front of our car was a person in an all-black hoodie and all-black pants. His hood was over his head and he was looking down at the ground so we couldn't see his face. After the lights came on, he kept inching towards the car at a snail's pace. 
This has got to be a prank, I thought. Someone saw us come down, was familiar with the story, and wanted to screw with us. So we opened our windows and yelled, Hey, you got us. That's, that's pretty great. But he didn't respond. So we thought he was just trying to stay in character. So he laughed it off and got the hell out of there fast. At the top of the hill nearby, there's a parking lot, which is still pretty deep into the woods, maybe a minute or two drive from the bridge. We decided to head up that way to gather our thoughts and sort of process everything that had just happened since adrenaline was still running pretty high. We got to the parking lot, which is normally about a quarter full on a busy weekend during midday with hikers, as it is a pretty popular hiking spot in the area. But 2am on a Wednesday, this lot should have been totally empty. But we pulled in and almost every spot was taken. Considering the park closed at dusk, this was disturbing. We parked in the middle of the lot trying to figure out what was going on. I grew up just minutes from this area, and the amount of cars in the lot was probably the equivalent of the nearest town's entire population. We sat in the lot for about 5-10 minutes, just talking to each other, trying to figure out what was going on, when two German shepherds came running out down the hill. They stopped at our car briefly and then continued running off into the woods. The girl that we had brought with us had a look of horror on her face and told us that we needed to leave. Confused and still a bit concerned, I agreed and left the area quickly. She put everything together. She said that cult activity in that area around us was very high. German shepherds are commonly an animal they use for sacrifices. I don't know where she got this information, but I do know it's been about five years. I never saw her again, and I never went back to that bridge at night. Now, that's scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's real people getting up to shit in the woods at night, and that's yeah. actually worse than ghosts. Yeah. And I've never heard the German Shepherd thing. Whenever I hear cult stuff, I'm wary to take it at face value. Right. Because I know, especially in America, they are so hysterical about cults. Well, and look what happened here with that whole Michelle Remembers thing that turned out to be complete bollocks. Well, so. that's it. And, and <laughs> that's one of the things that caused the satanic panic. I know. And yet I remember it, that. it was all bullshit. Well, and Victoria got known as the satanic capital of North oh, America. Oh, I know. And the witchy capital oh, and all this horseshit. So when I hear cult, I kind of roll my eyes. Yeah. But that said... I found out that there was a cult not far from my apartment. Oh. Yeah. There's a guy, uh, I won't say his name, but there's a guy, a uh, homeless guy. He's not homeless anymore, but he, he used to be homeless. And uh, he would be panhandling for change on my walk to work. So sometimes if it was a slow day, I would sit next to him and just hang out with him while he was panhandling. Right. And uh, he was seeing a gal who was, he was really in love with, but she was troubled. And they had been living in this house, which mm-hmm. is not far from my, my place. And it's a cult. They perform, they take acid, they perform rituals in the garage. <laughs> Apparently it had become kind of a weird nexus for wow. all kinds of stuff, just because they, these guys were so committed. Yeah. And the guy had family money or something, which is how he was able to afford the house. Cause my neighborhood is, I mean, it's not a fancy neighborhood, but like everything here, it's expensive. Yeah. And then... Of course, there's my, you know, sort of continuing interest in this whole smiley face thing. Yeah. Which I described to someone recently and I can't, you know, the story, I can't, I can't tell it on the air, but this guy has some experience with which might, I like to call it the engine room of the world. Yes. So, you know, things that people don't necessarily know about, but they're part of what keep the world running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is not necessarily spooky stuff. This is just social stuff. I mean, you know right. a little bit of it because you, you work for the police. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. And I described that to him and he said, you know what? Nothing surprises me. Wow. And he described some situations that never, the public never became aware of. No. But they happened. Oh, yeah. And they are genuinely frightening. There's a lot more, I think, that the public has no clue about. Yeah. That, and there's no reason for people to know about no, it. No, that's like, it. Like, why but, dwell on that kind of thing? There's yeah, no you, point. No one's in danger. 
per se. So yeah. why bring it up? That's it. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, yeah, that's it. That story creeped me out a little bit. Yeah, that's a good one. This is our last story. And I have a personal connection to it, which we'll talk about afterwards. All right. It's called The Medicine Man. Throughout my life, I've had many paranormal experiences, most of them centered around my hometown of Sacramento, California. This story, however, takes place further north during a family camping trip to Omak, Washington, when I was 17. While I was excited to be on vacation, I was concerned for my mother, who'd felt sick the entire drive. When we finally arrived at our campsite on the Colville Indian Reservation, my mother was feeling worse, and so rather than exploring the campsite, I helped my family set everything up and start dinner. After dinner, we were getting ready for bed, and my siblings decided they didn't want to sleep in the tent, but preferred the van. I don't remember why. As for me, I decided to stay in the tent with my parents. It was a really large tent. Eventually, everyone fell asleep, but I just couldn't. No matter what I did, I just kept tossing and turning in my sleeping bag on the east side of the tent. My parents were on the other side. There was a creek about a half mile away, and for some reason that was all I could hear and it sounded like it was right by my damn ear. Finally, I rolled onto my right side with my back facing my parents. Again, there was a large gap between us, and that's when I had the strangest feeling. My butt started getting really, really cold, and I broke out in goosebumps. Frustrated, I turned over again, and that's when I saw him. Squatting right behind me was a Native American dressed like how they were in the olden days, or at least from what we learned in school, I'm Asian, and I know very little of that culture. The man had what looked like a long leather flap that hung below his waist, long black hair, white line markings under his eyes, a band around his head, and another, a leather necklace pouch hanging from his neck. He was just staring at me. I didn't know what to do, so I hid underneath my sleeping bag. After maybe five or ten minutes of this, I peeked back out, and he was gone. Strange as it may sound, I felt like I had seen a ghost. The next morning, I overheard my parents talking. My mom was telling my dad of a strange dream she had about an Indian medicine man. She said he'd come to give her medicine because she didn't feel well, and my father idly wondered what that meant, psychologically. That's when I jumped into the conversation and told them about the frightening vision from the night before. My mother simply told me not to be afraid, that the man had not come to hurt anyone, and that he had, in fact, helped her. She began to feel better right away, and within a day or two, whatever had been ailing her passed. What I don't understand is why would he make himself visible for me to see when it was clear he came to my mom's aid. Interesting. Hmm. I kind of wonder if it's that situation just, uh, you know, you're sensitive to it, so you see. Yeah, probably. And uh, there must have been some sort of energy thing going on because the person couldn't go to sleep yeah right and you feel restless and you feel i've definitely had that yeah oh god yeah yeah so my personal connection to this um actually dates back to my very first yeah my first research trip when i started writing strange right uh nick had gotten me a gift certificate for a driving course in portland because she, un she understands me so i i drove down to portland did this driving course and then i took the long way back through the okanagan right to revelstoke and I decided to overnight in OMAC because right. it was about half an hour or sorry, right. about, about halfway. Yeah. After I decided to go there, I looked up paranormal things around OMAC. And funny enough, I found out that the campground on the Colville Indian Reservation oh. is known for haunting. Wow. So I thought I was going to check it out. But by the time I got to OMAC, 
it was too late. Like I, I had to do laundry mm-hmm. and it was pitch black and I, well, the woods at night, no, it's not happening. <laughs> and I ran into someone in the laundromat who I had a chat with and I mentioned that I was thinking about checking out this campground and they said to me, oh, you can't camp there at night anymore. That's been, oh. that's been, the band has cut that off. You can't camp overnight. Oh. So that night about two in the morning, I was startled out of bed by what sounded like an air raid siren. It legitimately, I thought yeah, something was happening. Yeah. And, um, I tried to get the front desk. I, I thought legitimately, so, again, something terrible was yeah. happening because it just wouldn't stop. It went on for minutes, 10 minutes, oh. this air raid siren sounding thing. It would just seem to be all blanketing the whole town. I finally got a hold of the front desk and they said, that's the fire hall. Hmm. We don't know why it's going off, but everything's fine. So I went back to bed and the next morning, uh, I thought, well, that's not a good enough answer. So I actually went down to the police station and it's a small enough town that, you know, when a stranger asks a question like that, they'll tell you. And the woman at the, the receptionist, I guess, said to me that, uh, what had happened is there had been a fire on the river two caravans had caught on fire. Oh no. But I said, is it normal for the, for that, for that to happen with the alarm? And she said, no, she said the alarm staying on that long is actually a dam break signal for the Grand Coulee Dam. Oh my God. Of course I drove over the Grand Coulee Dam. There you go. Yeah. So she said that during the cold war, that was the dam break signal. And she that said, means get out as quick exactly. as you can. Wow. So she said all the old folks in town were sitting there in bed thinking, Jesus, should we be putting our pants on? Of course it was fine, but she had no idea why wow. that had happened. And so I asked her about the Colville res and, and the, uh, the campground. And she said, yeah, she said it's closed. We don't know why the band just decided to close it. Apropos of nothing. And I, I have not been able to find this card again. She actually wrote down the band's office number for me. Didn't ask her to do it. She just did it. And again, I've somehow lost the card cause I've switched wallets since then, but I went on a Revelstoke. And now bear in mind, I knew nothing about Revelstoke before I started writing the book. Mm -hmm. And literally the first place I went was a museum. Right. There was an exhibit there, which talked about indigenous habitation in the Columbia river valley before white settlement. Right. Well, apparently the people, the Sinext people moved up and down the valley. They never settled in any one place. They were a nomadic tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And once a settlement came to the region, they were shuttled off down to the Colville Indian Reservation. Wow. Yeah. Huh. And there's actually one other connection, two or two other things. My very first road trip before any of this happened, literally after I bought the car and just got my driver's license and just went, just went nuts. I was coming back from, I think, Butte, Montana at, I left Butte. This is actually the Copper King when I couldn't sleep. Right. So I'm driving through the forest and all of a sudden, I, I, in a sort of high high mountain road, I became convinced that my mother was dead. Out of nowhere. Wow. Just convinced that my mother was dead. And I started crying. I actually had to pull the car over and cry and cry and cry. Wow. And what finally jarred me out of it was my GPS resetting. Out of nowhere. It just beep, beep, beeped and reset itself. And that kind of broke me out of it. I got down out of the mountains, found a phone. You know, I don't think I had a cell phone at the time. Called my mother. She's fine. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't think too much about it until after that happened. And then I started looking at some maps and I realized that road also smack in the middle of the Colville Res. Wow. Yeah. And the third thing was I was interviewing someone else for the book and he described a road in Washington state that he said he never feels alone. It makes him uncomfortable because he feels like someone else is always behind him outside of OMAC 
on the Colville Res. Wow. So there's something there. Something going on. Yeah. Big pot of energy there. No kidding. Interesting. Cool. So yeah, that's my my personal connection. Nice. Moral of the story, stay out of the woods. Stay out of the woods. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for the woods are trying to kill you. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks to our fantastic staff, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent, without all of whom we would be totally lost. So thank all of you very much. I guess we're just going to get straight to patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. They are Craig, Amy Clark, Janessa Sabek, Ashley Wirtz, Page and uh, Janessa, there is some debate over how your name is pronounced. So, if, sorry, Janessa, if we got that wrong, Janessa, then uh, just let us know and we will correct that on a future show. We and deeply will... apologize, Janessa, for the way we're saying your yes, name wrong. Yes, Janessa, we apologize. And when you correct us, I will dance on Ian's grave. <laughs> I mean, I was going to do that anyways, and <laughs> pretty much even more so. Yeah. <laughs> If you'd like to join our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the 5, pardon me, 1, 5, 10, 20, and $50 levels. And you get all kinds of cool stuff, including the monthly, uh, we call it now Cabin Fever episodes, mm-hmm. which is just Ian and I talking about all the stuff we've been up to that doesn't fit into the regular show. There's the monthly Luke Lore episodes that you guys get 30 days ahead of the public. And that's each month Luke talking about a different folklore subject. You get access to the li- the monthly live show, which is an opportunity for us to hang out with you. That's anywhere from usually from 30 to 30 minutes to an hour of just, yeah, shooting the breeze on a YouTube live stream. That's always a good time. I think we've got one coming up here in about 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Once you hit the higher tiers, you get access to Ian's smash hit Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. I'll apologize in advance. <laughs> you get signed art cards of my night photography. And we're working on putting together another award for our $20 patrons where you will get a shout out as part of Ghost Force on every other episode. Ghost Force. Ghost Force. The few, the proud, the spooky. <laughs> Sign up for Ghost Force today. Ghost Force. So we'll probably have our first Ghost Force roll call next episode. Nice. We're, we're having some music put together for that. So once that's ready, then uh, we shall get you guys out there. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Of course, we'd like to thank everyone who reaches out to us. We love hearing from you. Everyone who sent us messages via Facebook Messenger, email, Instagram, instant message, all that stuff. And if you have a story, we'd love to hear from you. Send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And we are, uh, I'm not sure when the next listener stories episode will be probably, well, we're, we're preparing usually October is a month of all listener stories. So that'll probably be what we save them for. Uh, but yeah, we love hearing your stories. So please, please make sure to send them. And this time around, we'd like to thank everyone who got a hold of us, including Jacinta, Brandy, Kim, Farah, Jonas, Saul, Rebecca, Eli, April, Joanne, Ashley, Megan, Ruth, Rin, Sarah, Shelby, Melinda, Molly, Mark, Monica, Michael, and Brett, who uh, gave us a really lovely shout out on her Instagram feed. Nice. Yeah. uh, As a pod, she was asked for some podcast recommendations and, uh, 
bizarrely, we were in there. Wow. So we certainly appreciate that. Lars? And Rose. Thanks so much, everyone. Again, we just love hearing from you. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. We do. Um, if, even if it takes us a little while to get back to you, uh, we would, yeah, we, we absolutely appreciate it. And I believe we have a listener coming to town. Uh, we, we missed one, unfortunately. Yeah. There was, uh, yeah. Uh, Sarah, if you're listening, we apologize. Sorry, Sarah. It was uh, just between the two of us. It was a situation where one of us thought the other was dealing with it. And, and it was a crazy transitional time. You were crazy up to your... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah. anyways, but Sarah, if you're out there, we do apologize. We're not really jerks. No, I mean, we, we are, well, but not for those kind reasons. Of, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and I th- was it Steve? Yeah, Steve's coming from New Mexico. Yeah, so that's exciting. I'm looking yep. forward to that. That's yep. next week. Yes. Yes, fantastic. I guess this week when the show comes out. But Oh, no, I'm confused. No, I know. You're doing it's that okay. time travel thing again. Deep breaths, deep breaths. <laughs> <laughs> Dolphin breathe. So, yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, send us a story, send us a compliment or a, a gentle criticism <laughs> it better be gentle or brennan will cry that's so true send it to ghost story guys at gmail.com and we will make sure to shout you out on the show so you now you have something coming up in august am i correct you have a charity ghost walk i do for cops or cancer um they do a big bike ride called tour de rock right and they ride from one end of vancouver Brown to the other and this is a fundraiser so oh, okay. I'm doing this sort of casual one hour ghost wandering, uh, around downtown, uh, which is going to be coming up and I can give more details as we get closer. Space is limited, however. So check out Facebook. I did share it on our Facebook page. Right. And we'll make an event out of it too, if it's not sure. already so that uh, yeah. people know where to find it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It'll be fun. Sorry. What weekend is that again? I think it's August 24th. Oh, okay. So we got a little bit of time. Oh, yet. lots of time. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, you'll find more details of that on our Facebook page. Nothing coming up for me, really, although I'm producing a new podcast. Excellent. Yeah, I am one of our listeners, Travis Roy, is four episodes into the show, A Very Broad History of Werewolves and Other Things, and that's uh, a history show. It's nothing at all paranormal, than, right. aside from the name, but I've come on board as a producer to sort of help him knock some of the bugs out and pretend like I know what I'm doing. Perfect. So if you want to hear about history, check out his podcast, A Very Broad History of Werewolves and Other Things. I think the... The last episode, episode four, was about the evolution of the cigarette in America. Ooh. And this upcoming one is rats versus squirrels. And <laughs> I'm still in the process of editing that one, but it's there's some stuff in there about rats I did not know. Squirrels are just rats with better PR. <laughs> that's oh my it. God, that's genius. <laughs> that's all it is. I once had a very upsetting encounter with squirrels at Queens Park in Toronto. Uh, I'd just gotten to town. It's from Calgary. We didn't have squirrels there. And I walked to the middle of the park with a big bag of like donut holes or something. And I'm like, oh, a squirrel. And I went, and like 30 squirrels began oh, converging the mafia. on me. I threw a donut hole at the closest one and I ran. It scared <laughs> the crap out of me. Never made that mistake again. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. So yeah, that's that's about it for new stuff for me. I mean, I'm back to work, which is exciting. Yay, money. Yes, money. Finally. That, yes. that is nice. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys gear, head on over to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. There you'll find links to our Redbubble and Threadless stores. If you do buy something, make sure to forward us the receipt and we'll send you a couple of GSG stickers as a thank you. I know we've had a couple people buy stuff recently, but uh, you do have to let us know because we, especially with Redbubble, we don't have access to who ordered. No. We just know that someone ordered. Yeah. So uh, let us know and we'll send you some stickers as a thank you. And nothing says I'm awesome better than a Ghost Story Guys t-shirt. That's exactly it. Yes, I agree. But then I'm partial. And I own one. So I own, <laughs> I own several. Every time a new design goes up, I order one to make sure that they actually print okay. Oh, is that the reason? Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that and I'm a t-shirt whore. There so, you, you go. Know. There you go. 
Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps increase visibility of the show. Actually, we have sort of a funny little announcement. We were, we're not anymore, but we were briefly, the number 31 comedy podcast in Panama. So shout out to all our listeners in Panama. Thank you, Panamanians. We are so <laughs> grateful. You can be our, our Panamaniacs? Panamaniacs. <laughs> oh my God. I'm sure they never get tired of that humor. And I think we are currently, I want to say number 25 or 35 in Slovakia. Wow. So hello there. Also Slovakia moving on up in the world. Moving on up. It's pretty cool to see all the countries where people are listening actually. Yeah, actually the, uh, we're up to, I think Australia is number three now, number three or number four. Wow. Uh, and no, sorry. France is ahead of Australia. What? I know. It's, I thought they had taste over there. Well, Jerry Lewis. Ah, it all comes together. <laughs> there we are. There we go. I remember back in Belfast in 2008, I was staying in this hostel and these two French kids stopped me on the street and then their face is really bright. And then they, they stopped and they went, oh, they thought I was some French comedian. Oh. <laughs> so there was some dumpy motherfucker out there who <laughs> is making bank in France telling jokes. Thank you, French people. Thank you, everyone who listens. It's pretty great. Absolutely. We love all you guys. Yeah. I just can't tell you how much it means to us to have you out there. We'd like to thank our musical guest, Hexagram. Of course. For their song, The Rise. You can find more from them at hexagram.bandcamp.com and on all the major streaming services. I actually, another little project they did, I cut together a video for their song, Crystal Lake, mm. uh, from the film Sunshine. And you can find that on the Ghostery Guys YouTube channel. And uh, just a fun little thing I did because I really love that song. It's got some great guitar work happening and you know me and guitars i do yeah so thanks again to hexagram thanks to peter of pizzanta music for our theme song yeah you can find him online at soundcloud.com slash the real pizzanta music and his newest album will be uploaded soon he's doing another uh lo-fi album oh cool yeah he's uh last year he released i think it was last year or the year before he released lo-fi afternoon one and two and this year he will be releasing lo-fi three uh, i think pretty soon nice and those are really really great records make sure to keep an eye out Oh, and if for some reason you want to hear more of my voice, you can find me over at Largely the Truth. That's my weekly music show on 92.5 Stoke FM. If you're not in the local broadcast area, and you won't be because it's smaller than this table, <laughs> you can also listen on the web at stokefm.com or via the TuneIn app. That's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then... Into the darkness we go.
Oh, boy, I'm sure glad we're starting with this. I'm hard already. Oh, God. <laughs> Gross. Janessa. We... It's Janessa. It's Janessa. It's Janessa. Janessa. Janessa? I would say Janessa. Damn it. Such a good rhythm going. It's called... <laughs> and they post a new one every... Uh, I don't know. There's a couple every day. Jesus, look at the size of... It's ridiculous. We had someone offer us to be a brand ambassador for some shady company. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I declined. So the next day I went back with a hatchet and bag of nails in hand, ready to crucify Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That was a very weird 19-year-old. I had a a hamster at about 1920. Did you? Yeah. Aw, you're a weirdo too. Well, that's a given. Nope, that is cut. (laughs) Ian, hate crime Gibbs. (laughs) What, because she's from New York? Seems That's what that sounded like. Racist. I'm trying to do a Bronx thing. Was that what that was? Oh, I didn't come across. You got... No, really. Oh, yeah, I hear it now. Well, Dr. Hate Crime, still. <laughs> it comes through. It's not a hate crime if it's a character voice. I think it then is. Then it's okay. I think it is. Yeah, I can say... No, don't say it. <laughs> we don't want any of this recorded any more than we need. No, we've already got a stockpile of shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm going actually going back and deleting a lot of the old recording files. Yeah, yeah. Then they're going to make an angry Tinder profile. Where they talk about how they want no drama. If you're this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or you do this, or you do this, or you do this, don't bother messaging me. I am I'm only good. capable of defining myself in opposition to things, and I must scream. Can I keep that in the show? No. Damn it.